0: Thank you so much. Hi everyone, Candice Moore, alcoholic. Uh, Just sending love to everyone that's come before me. I've not been able to be on uh, today because my schedule is packed, uh, but I know and respect each and every speaker came in for the love for Pat. Uh, It's always good when Pat is talking. So I'm just gonna hopefully maintain that vibration uh, Ralph, thank you so much for allowing me to participate in the lineup. So when Ralph called me, so my schedule's packed. It's done. Ralph calls, and he's like, "You know, we're going to do a pre Woodstock West." So I'm like, "Oh, great! I'm going to be. You know, I'm going to have to finagle this, but to do this conference all day as the voice." He said, "No." <laughs> I was like, "What? No? Uh, I want you to to talk at it." And I'm like, "Okay, you know, I will, but." Uh, So, uh, Chris, the voice, you're beautiful. You can't stay. You are the beautiful. (laughs) I'll be back in May. Uh, So, um, but I'm just seriously, seriously happy to be here. Uh, I hope everyone who's here comes in person uh, May 19th through the 21st. It is absolutely an exquisite weekend. And I am privileged to be a trusted servant. So I've been asked to talk about Step 10 and uh, step 10 for me is uh, a, a daily bath, right? Because what happens by the time I get sober is not only do I be, develop some spiritual muscles, but simultaneously, I'm developing an ego. Right, and so just as my spiritual muscles start to get strong, and I want to flex a little bit, my ego steps in there. My ego wants to. My ego wants to know some things now, right? So my sobriety date, August sixteenth, nineteen ninety-five. That's the only date I have. That date is my date of birth. That date is the reason I breathe. The reason I get out of bed. Someone like me, who I live, how I am, without alcoholics anonymous, I'm not here. You know, we talk about the 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 way in which alcoholics die. It's never glamorous. It doesn't matter how many accomplishments we achieve throughout our sobriety when, when we have gone out and they find us. It's never in glamorous situations. We're never on silk sheets. It's been some crazy situation. Someone has gotten us. Something has happened. And so I'm that type of alcoholic. The thing about step 10 is I get to be honest with myself. It is not me constantly taking my pulse to see how I am, how I am, how I am. It's about being honest with where I am right now. So when I got sober, you know, for me to talk about step 10 and not give a little uh, context, uh, I don't think would be a solid. So I get sober. Now you can't see, I was like, am I going to give them a ponytail today? So I'll let you, sh- this is courage, a little courage. So my ponytail is courage. Uh, because it is the courage to grow. I had long hair for a long time in sobriety and then I started doing pixies, right? So now it's growing out, it's in the in-between stage. And uh, so I was, you know, putting ponytails on it when in May I will be rocking a ponytail. But I, you know, every now and again, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want courage to think that she's not enough right? I don't want, if this is the length of my hair, I want that to be enough. I need to always be able to stand in my beauty, no matter what my stage of development is. That's what I've learned through staying here over the past 27 years, which is crazy, 27 years in a row. I came into Alcoholics Anonymous so filled with shame. I was filled with shame, so much internal conflict. My life used to be self-esteem, was based on who I knew, what I did, where I lived, what I had. I always say self-esteem, by um, credibility by association, right? And so by the time I got sober, I was 96 pounds. I had no hair at all. I was bald-headed because of how I live, how I drink, what I do when I'm out there. And I was missing my front tooth. And so those were were external circumstances. But the thing about getting sober and looking like that is it's not a shock when I tell you how I how I've been living. <laughs> right. It's a little bit different when you see me after 90 days and I'm in a rehab and I have pulled it together and I go to a meeting. And so maybe you're a little shocked. Right. But I come into Alcoholics Anonymous and you see you see how I'm living. And everyone was so kind here. No one said, what happened to your tooth Because I wasn't the only one, turns out, who had had one, two or three teeth knocked out. Right. In Alcoholics Anonymous, there is no you're the only one. If anything, we're competitive. It's like, oh, you remember. Well, I remember back in. Uh, right. You lean back into it and you start telling me your tales of woe. But it's not your tales of woe. It's your tales of victory. You're saying that didn't, that didn't stop me. I remember not having my whole, you know, top set of teeth and they would ask me to read how it works and I would get up there and I would read how it works. Do you know what I mean? And so I started tapping into something here. I didn't think I could stay. Anyone who's new, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't think I could stay. I didn't even come here to stay. I came here because I was tired. I came here because I come through the rehab and they took us to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. But from the very beginning, I started leaning in. From the very beginning, you said things that were intriguing. Nothing was intriguing to me by the time I got sober at 28 years old. I'm 55 right now. I'll be 56. It just is crazy when I start saying a five in front of my age, but I will be 56 in April. I... I feel 28 now, but I I looked 55 then, right? Alcoholics Anonymous is a fountain of youth. A lot of things had gone on. And so I'm really grateful for strong sponsorship. One of the things I kept hearing, and that's why it's important, the type of meetings I go to. I need to go to meetings where they are solution-based, not I want to tell you everything I ever did, right? And get a little braggadocious about it. I state what I've done, who I used to be as a a matter of fact, because it is. And then I talk about what it is I do now so that I don't return to that woman. That woman is treacherous. And I'm a little bit more dangerous now because I've got some spiritual vocabulary I can co-mingle with my madness. So... I get sober, and you were saying things that made me lean in. I leaned in. You said, if you don't take a drink, you won't get drunk. What? What? It can't be that simple. It can't be, it can't be that. I'm not sitting here, ball-headed, toothless, 96 pounds because of that. That's crazy. If I don't take a drink, I won't get drunk. So now the journey begins. How do I not take a drink? Right? And the 10th step is that's what the 10th step is about. How do I not take a sober drink? What does that mean? Indulge in behaviors that are going to make me thirsty. And when I'm doing that, how do I get honest about it? Right. Pen to paper is a powerful thing. My sponsor, Gloria Decker, she's gone now. She's been gone for a long time, but she would say there's magic when pen hits paper. I have learned to do 10 steps no matter where I am. I will grab a napkin and start writing. You know, I called Ralph not too long ago with a 10 step. It was eating my lunch. I was enraged. I couldn't let it go. And it was building up. It had built up quickly. I think I had carried it a couple of months. And I was telling myself because spiritual arrogance is a very real thing. I sponsor women. I'm sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. I have a certain amount of meetings. I have my own business and blah, blah, blah. And 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 there were things that were also collapsing. And so I was like, what are people going to think if they know this? What are people going to think if they know that? And I realized it's building up. I couldn't take it. Those things will take me out. Because what's going on is I'm associating some shame with it. I'm associating a lot of negative judgment with it. So when I am feeling ashamed, but I'm carrying myself as if it's all good, that internal contradiction makes me thirsty. There are a lot of equations that will make me thirsty. It's important that I talk about a few of them. right? And so when I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, I came to you fresh off the streets. Fresh off the streets. The beauty of what this program is, is we come in shoulder to shoulder. That means it does not matter what you did before you came to us, that we will stand as equals now. There is no one that can weaponize my past against me because I share it freely. My past is my past. That means has previously occurred, is not occurring right now, right? There's a difference. I had to learn to separate that. I love the dictionary, right? On Tuesday nights, I do a big book, a women's big book workshop online. We get it all the way done. On Thursdays, I do an in-person Thursday 12 and 12, line by line, we get it all the way done. And the the common denominators, there's a dictionary, right? We have people looking up words because my arrogance says, I already know that, but my words are, my definitions are emotional. I need to have those dismantled so that I can come from a place of what the intention was. So by the time I get sober, uh, I'm exhausted and I'm carrying a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of things that have happened and I've done so much. I've done things that I don't think can be made right. And I've heard Pat many times before. And so I already know he did a masterful job on steps eight and nine. And the beauty of step eight is that it's an inventory in itself. When I start making that list, cause people go eight, and nine are the same. They're not the same. Because I make a list doesn't mean I'm gonna do anything about nine, right? I have to have the courage to move into stepping into my heels as a woman. That's what nine is for me. And so when I start participating in step 10, it says I've entered the world of the spirit. I'm not being driven by the same influences, by the same need that I had before to always be right, to always be on top, to always look good. I'm prepared to look bad, to feel good. I'm prepared to do that. Step 10 makes that okay for me. Do you know what I mean? Uh, By the time I got sober, I had given birth to my daughter, had her when I was out on the street. It wasn't a pregnancy where we discussed baby names because that wasn't the type of life I was living. I was in public relations, right? I wasn't quite sure what the name of the dad really was. And I remember going through that pregnancy, I'm terrified and I'm also drinking and all the other things I do when I'm out there. And so just the the terror that was was so present in my spirit as my child was in my womb, it breaks my heart to think about that and what that's looked like. I wasn't going to have the baby because I came from a background where when I was little, things happened. That shouldn't happen to children. And now I'm on these streets and I'm with these strangers and things, are, things happen whether I consent or, or don't give consent. And I couldn't risk having a child being brought into that, that situation. But I also can't not drink. Right? When we talk about step one is this isn't how I want to live, but I'm powerless to not live this way. This isn't the relationship I want to be in, but I can't stop hitting you. Right. I have a workbook and in it, I talk about abuse. And one of the sections is I hit you because I love you. Because I used to be in domestic violence relationships, I was the abuser and I've been the abusee. But powerless to stop that behavior. And that was sober. (laughs) So we're clear. Right. And so I am I find out I'm pregnant. I'm drinking. I'm under the lash. Of alcoholism, that means it is not a partnership. This isn't a relationship where we are sitting down and discussing how we're going to build a bright future. I'm under the lash. It's an abusive relationship. I can't leave. I'll do anything to fix this relationship because I feel it's all I have. I feel that now the bottle is all I am. And it's subtle how it happens. I surrender a little bit at a time. You know what? It happens in Alcoholics Anonymous too. I surrender my will a little at a time. I surrender my ego a little bit at a time. I surrender my defiance a little bit at a time in favor of training my feet to suit up and to show up and to do what it is we do here. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory, not your inventory. I get confused about that (laughs) because I think my life will be better if I take your inventory and let you know what you need to correct so we can work it out. You know what that looks like? Bondage. It looks like one more time I'm frustrated and life is, is screwing me over because I'm so busy trying to wrest satisfaction out of something that's not designed to be anything other than what it is. In that moment, I lack the ability, right? In step four, in the 12 and 12, to meet conditions as they are. And so I'm out on those streets and I'm drinking and I'm under the lash of alcoholism. I'm calling it a loving relationship, but anyone to the naked eye, they know that it's anything other than that. I find out I'm pregnant. I'm not going to have this baby. And I don't stand for anything, right? For the people whose sensibilities, uh, that statement offends. When I'm drinking, I don't stand for anything. the The book in in step two talks about many of us had moral and philosophical convictions. galore. the only thing I was I was I had a conviction about was drinking. That I was willing to do anything and everything I needed to do in order to get it. Period. Get with that or get gone. I am a team player, my team. So when I find out I'm pregnant, I can't have this baby. I can't risk the things that happened to me without my consent as a child, happening to my child, because I know the individuals that are in my life are not okay people. I already know that. Because water seeks its own level. And by this time, there are no lower companions. We all live in the same house. And that house is the street. Right? And so when I make that decision, I learn through the the media that someone in my family had been killing children, doing really awful things before taking their bodies apart and putting them in cement. And that person turns out to be my mom. So when I get sober, when I get sober, I come to you with all of that. Daddy's a pimp. Mama's a murderer. I come from the streets, right? Total statistic, total statistic. So someone like me doesn't stay sober, and i have been in shelters. I went in shelters. I got more loaded in shelters than I did when I was on the street. There was everything. It was a shelter that had three levels. One level had this. One had a lot of business for a girl like myself. I could tell you that much. And so what that means is I was never at peace. I was never safe. There was no safe. My old sponsor, Clancy, would say no friendly direction. And so by the time I got sober, I remember giving birth. Turns out it was a girl turns out it was a girl I named her serenity just wanted peace you know how you you come from a life where you have a masterful tongue and you think you can do anything with this tongue right if I say it this is what it is that's the world I come that's the world of a hustler if I say it this is what it is baby you know this is what we do right So I call my daughter serenity because I want peace. I don't understand that my relationship, my primary relationship, I'm going to ask you during the the next few minutes that I have to share, I'm going to ask that you look at and identify your primary relationship. Not the relationship you're saying is your primary, but you'll know by your behavior what always has your attention and what you do in order to preserve it. That's your primary relationship. And so I remember... I named my daughter and I'm crying because she's beautiful and I feel ugly. She's precious and I feel damaged. She's pure and I feel dirty. And I remember holding her and she's shaking and they told me she was detoxing. So when I get sober, right, I don't see her anymore. Three days after I leave the hospital, that was it. I couldn't get sober. By the time I got sober, tried to get her. She had already been adopted. So I'm coming to Alcoholics Anonymous with all of that. And I remember in the rehab, and a rehab's not AA, but that rehab saved my life. Before AA saved my life, the rehab saved my life. They preserved my life in order for me to hear The message of Alcoholics Anonymous. A rehab is a business. A rehab is for short-term. It is not designed for any long-term anything. It is a short-term solution. Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever your program is, those are designed to be a way of life. And it was in the rehab, members of AA came in and they were carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. They talked about getting a sponsor. What's a sponsor? A sponsor has a working knowledge of all 12 steps. What are the steps that are outlined in the big book? Oh, look at her cat. (laughs) That is so cute. I can see my screen and, and what is it? Miss Pachez just picked up her baby. I have babies. I have two cats and they're safe and they lay on my chest because I'm a safe space because they know I won't hurt them. That's a big deal. It's not a big deal. Maybe to someone who has a low bottom, it's a big deal for me. I never laid on my, I never put my head on my mom's chest. Well, before she started killing kids, she was a danger to everyone. It's a huge deal to, to be safe enough to be able to do that, you know? So I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and you guys are telling me, and when you get out this rehab, make sure you go to meetings, Make sure you get a sponsor who can take you through the book, not a sponsor who wants to chit chat all the time, but a sponsor who's going to take you through the book, who has to know the book in order to take you through the book to have a new experience, to have a experience, period, with the text. That's the program. The program is the book. It's not meetings. Meetings is where we talk about what we've learned in the program. And so I remember being asked to take step one, right? And we go through the big book, but step one is internal, Have I conceded that this relationship won't work anymore? That's all you're asking me. And you asked me that several times at 27 years sober, you're still asking me that. What is the relationship I'm in now? Am I in a relationship with something I'm so desperate to have? I think if I get this, I'll be that. Right? What is it that I'm seeking that is external that I feel has restorative powers? Because whatever that is, that's the drink. A higher power is many things. I got here under the lash of greed, under the lash of lust, right? Under the lash of rage, all of those things. And they have punctuated different periods of my recovery. And it's been the 10th step that has allowed me to let them go, to be able to surrender them, to identify them and to move into a certain place. So anyway, I get sober, right? I'm working with my first sponsor who is still my friend today. She's eight years sober, longer than I. And we start going through the book and it was painful. If step one is not painful, if step one is not emotional, then you're not done drinking. Because it's super painful for me to really look at how it is my relationship was actually treating me, the things I did to keep it. I have sponsored women who have been in horrible relationships and they swear that it's going to be, I've been in that relationship and I'm trying to work. We're going to work it out. I know. I know. I told, and then I know that's why I have to have a 10 step because I totally know. And when I want you to shut up, I'm like, no, you're right. In my head, I'm like, she's dead wrong. Right. And so I start taking the steps. And then I I look at the unmanageability, the unmanageability that's created by me trying to rest satisfaction, the chaos and the confusion that causes so that I can move into the beauty of step two, principled living. Sanity is principled living. That's what it is for me, right? And we are actually in step two in my, in my Tuesday women's meeting right now. And so what I was just You know how you come out of a really good meeting and it just is still resonating and vibrating. And I was like, you know what? If if my higher power, I call it spirit, is healing, love, and light, then I want to be restored to love. And so the challenge throughout my recovery has been not feeling worthy of truly being loved. I didn't know that. So when I don't get my way, I feel it when I I lose my faith and I stop praying because that's happened at different times of my recovery. I've lost my faith. I have said, I'm not going to pray. There is no real God. And all that is, is me is one more time, a wounded child, not feeling deserving of truly being loved. I have a friend, his name is Hero. He said, I have a God and he's crazy about me. I hope you have a God that's crazy about you. And I love that, but it made me pause. And I'm like, do I have that relationship? And what is needed to build it? It's one thing to talk about having a higher power in theory. It's another thing to have full reliance upon it. Because in step three, I'm turning my thoughts and my actions. So not just my mouth, but what am I really thinking? I know this is what I'm saying, but what am I harboring in my mind that creates separation? Because alcoholism is looking for any way to get in there and take me out. And my actions, am I willing to do what you do? Am I willing to uncross my arms? So that I can immediately go into an inventory, the first inventory, everything after a fourth is a tenth. So I look at resentment, sex, fears, how they've been showing up. This is when I get factual because it's been hypothetical up until then. And I share it with a sponsor so that that sponsor can share back. A sponsor is not just receiving, a sponsor is going to share back. So I know I'm not the only one. Everything about this is I can't be the only one or I can't stay. If I'm the only one, that creates isolation. And then six, I look at how my fears have shown up. That's all step six is. In what ways have my fears shown up? In what ways do I not feel I have fully been restored? When I feel I don't have enough, I take more than I need. Or I just take yours, period. Sober. This is why I have to stay. This is why I need a step 10 because I'm going to do it Sober. I remember sleeping with a newcomer. It's the one thing I don't want in my AA story. I feel strongly about a lot of things, but predators in AA is, is not okay. Predators and Alcoholics Anonymous is not. What does that mean? It means someone who preys upon someone is who's not even developed enough to know what their favorite freaking color is. Right? And so I meet this person. I was going through a breakup. I'm sober. And I meet this person months ago when I had spoken in a different city. And that day I had just gotten my butt beat by my partner. The partner who was a rebound from the partner I was really in love with, right? Because now I'm living like I'm drinking, sober. And we had fought and I had lost. It wasn't even fought. I had gotten beat upside my head, period. And then they took me shopping, right? So you may have a busted lip, but you're going to look cute. And then I go speak at a meeting and I see this person. Oh, Oh, even in my, <laughs> even in my woundedness, I remember perking up like, Oh, you know, Hey, right. I just got this applause in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. They're telling me that I'm like some type of guru. And I was like, what? I'm living like I'm slumming on the streets. And so months later, that person was with someone I saw when they put their hand on their wrist very possessively. I was like, I don't even know you. I'm good. Right. So months later, I'm still in the insanity of how I'm living. I'm sleeping with this person. I'm cheating on the person that I was cheating with when I was in the relationship. And they come into a meeting and says, Oh, I remember you. You're like an AA icon. (gasps) Oh, what? Now everyone in the meeting I was going to didn't think I was an icon. (laughs) They had a lot of thoughts about me, but it wasn't icon because they saw how I was living. They knew that I had slept with someone who was struggling, had time, but was struggling, wasn't developed. I knew better, but I couldn't do better. And so I didn't want to ask this person how much time they had because I don't want to know because I don't think it's going to make a difference. That's how lost I was. My sponsor, Gloria Decker, was dying. I had just had to leave the relationship that I almost died in, but still wanted back. And I'm showing up in AA and I can't, I have Tourette's. I can't just sit quietly in a meeting. And I go, we were going to bowling. Someone was having a birthday and everyone was going bowling. And so me and this person, I was like, you can drive with me, set up. You can drive with me, right? You can ride with me. And we we ate and they're flirting with me. I don't want to know how much time you have because I suspect it's not a lot. I don't want to be held responsible. And then I tell my sponsor, I had an interim sponsor for four months, Karen Garrison, loved Karen, (laughs) loved Karen. If anyone had the privilege and the honor of knowing Karen, Karen was everything. And I said, this person is, you know, they had told me they squeezed out the information, Right. And I said, they are 10 and a half months sober in the middle of a four step. In the middle of a fourth step. You know, like if it couldn't get worse, then you say that in the middle of a fourth step. And so she said, well, we don't want to get in the way of anyone's recovery. Why don't you wait 90 days, go to coffee with them and ask how their day is? I said, because I don't give an F how their day is. Well, that's a problem anyway, that I would want to to express myself intimately with someone that I actually don't even care how their day. I said, if I want to go to coffee, I'll go to coffee with my friends and ask them how their day is because them I care about. And I said, you're right. I won't sleep with them. Went home, slept with them. Right. So they're calling me every day, every five minutes the next day. And I say, I have to talk to you. And I remember them saying, my sponsor said you would do this to me. And while this is going on, right, because when we talk about that was step six, lust. And it wasn't a desire to be touched. It was a desire to be restored. That's where defects come from. That's the fear when I feel broken. But I'm not doing an inventory through all of this. I don't want to look at my behavior. I'm running from myself. And the desire to drink is so strong, and I'm showing up in meetings, and I'm speaking in meetings, and I'm doing all the stuff in meetings, and I'm talking like I have a program, but my life, I'm homeless, emotionally, spiritually. And I remember having to uh, go through the steps again to save my sobriety. I had to go through the steps again to save my sobriety. And so when I was doing all that, looking at seven, humbly asking spirit to remove the shortcomings, but I wasn't staying step seven because these are survival instincts that I'm on now. So I want you to remove them, but not all of them because I don't want to be weak and I don't want this to happen again. Me feeling exploited. This is all the these are the things that have made me thirsty. And looking at the list, the sober list of harms I had done was more painful than the list of when I was newly sober and had made an eight step list to see the ways in which I had actually shown up in Alcoholics Anonymous on this planet. When I made my first list of amends and my rounds of amends, I said I would not behave like this anymore. I didn't understand that healing takes time. Healing takes time. And so I've had to grow out of behaviors in order for me to come to believe I have to be willing to move into a different space. And so I started making amends and I started feeling clean. And in order for me to stay clean, I had to get with the 10th step. I had to get into. So when I do a 10th step, it's I do extended columns and there's there's several columns right so there's more than four in the 10 step i do there's many ways to do a 10 step there's also the halt inventory right and so my one of my babies is like what's a halt and i said hungry angry lonely and tired when i can't just do a regular inventory i can write literally h a l t and look at what am i hungry for what is it that i'm trying to that i'm craving in my spirit and what are the ways in which i'm feeling that are they principled what am I willing to, surre- how is that showing up? What am I willing to surrender? Angry, what's pissing me off? What is it that I have the, I've not been able to accept as it is? How is that showing up? What am I doing here to rest satisfaction? What am I willing to surrender? What am I going to put in its place? Lonely. What is it that my spirit feels will soothe it? Why do I feel I'm standing alone? right? Because it's not lonely for a, a, a lover. Sometimes it is, but that's not always what it is. Am I willing to look at that? Tired? What behavior am I engaging in that's exhausting me, that's wearing me down, but I'm defending it. Anything I have to defend is not in alignment with what spirit wants for me because when it is spiritually ordained, I don't have to defend it. When it's principled, I don't need to to debate with you. I don't need to do any of that. But when it's my will, fear-based, step six driven, right, infused, I got to plant my flag on that ground. And it talks about the spiritual axiom, right? In step 10, in the 12 and 12 on page 90, it is is a spiritual axiom that every time I'm going to read it first person just because of what we're talking about, that every time I am disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with me also. So there are no loopholes here. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm bad. The thing about um, what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, we attach our ego to our knowledge, to the experience, and it gets all twisted. And then when we tell a, a newcomer, we start, we're shaming them without meaning to shame them. It doesn't mean I'm bad because I'm disturbed. It means, oh, this is an opportunity to invite spirit in this space so I can get free. Do you want to turn your will in your life over to your ego or do you want to seek peace? Because something has got to be surrendered. Something has got to be surrendered. I'll tell you guys, you know, my daughter came back into my life after 25 years. This is the the child, this is the only child I've ever given birth to, was never in my life. And so the years that I used to, you know, work in corporate America and you you have the, the parties and the the events and, you know, you're, and I was in corporate sales. So you're bonding with your clients and, you know, and, oh, you have kids. Oh, and they ask you, do you have kids? And I would say, yes, two cats right? Because I don't want to open the, the conversation of, yes, I have a child, but she was taken from me at birth because I was strung out, right? That's probably not going to get the bit. It might. You don't know their past, but I don't want to risk it. So, so my daughter, but I could say it in AA, everyone in AA always knew because I always talked about her. I always celebrated her year after year. I celebrated her by gifting other mothers and daughters in her honor, right? Restorative action you guys taught me that, right? And so she comes back into my life. Her name's still Serenity. Now I call her Storm, but her name is Serenity. And so she comes back into my life. She's a mom, (gasps) right? And it's beautiful. She's like a a younger version of me. We go a lot of places with that. So my daughter, she's quick, you know what I mean? And so so my daughter finds me 24 years sober because she's she was 25, almost 26. I was going to be 25. She's a year older than me, right? And so my daughter, not an alcoholic. I remember I made the amends, took her to lunch. I made the amends and she was really gracious and accepting. (laughs) So gracious and accepting. And we started building our relationship. I met her mom, right? And I took her mother, Uh, a God box, a really beautifully made God box. And I thanked her for loving my daughter, for keeping my daughter safe. Right. And so, so about a year and a half into our relationship, it started to become a real relationship, right? My daughter was late all the time, first year, like all the time. And it culminated into her being three and a half hours late. And I was not okay with that. And I remember telling my friends, I'm going to talk to her, right? Just a couple of people. I'm going to talk to them. They're like, are you sure you're going to do that? She just came back in your life. And what if you look? And so this is why step 10 is important. This is why having work, all steps are important. I don't live in steps 10, 11, and 12. I live in one through 12. I don't need step 10 if I haven't surrendered in one. If I haven't turned my will in my life over to a power, a power of healing, love and light, because, again, I can turn my will in my life over to a lot of powers greater than myself. But I need to turn it over to a restorative internal power. Right. The power of creation. And so I had to do an inventory, a fear inventory, because I was afraid that when I talked to her. What if she goes away? And you know what happened? I was willing to do that because I'm not going to have a relationship that's built on dishonesty. If I'm unwilling to have a conversation in any relationship when I feel that I am being discounted or dismissed or ignored or being, you know, put in the back seat of the bu- whatever that is, then I am not honest. These are the things that make me drink. I can't have a relationship, a new relationship with my daughter at the expense of my peace of mind, at the expense of my sobriety. And I'm not going to, you know, holler anything. I just needed. I said, hey, I felt like I wasn't important. Is that how you wanted me to feel? And she said, no, that's not how I wanted you to feel. Right. And so we had this beautiful conversation. Then she didn't talk to me for two weeks. And I was just like, oh, right. I was terrified. I was like, okay. But I had to stand my ground. This is, this is the, the power of being able to do an inventory and understand the truth of who I am. If my daughter would have found me in the first year of my recovery, I was still filled with a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of remorse. And so I would have been contorting myself to do anything to keep this relationship. You have found me. At 24, almost 25 years of recovery. I've been doing this a long time. I have already surrendered a lot of behaviors. That whole thing with the sleeping with people that I, I wasn't spiritually in alignment with, all of that has gone by the wayside. Not because I'm older, but because I'm more healed. You hear people say things like, I'm too old for that. No, I know people that are 65 doing crazy stuff. We're not talking about that. It's not, I'm not too old. I am too healed for that in this area. I have other areas that are still under construction. You know, so my daughter comes back into my life. We're building this relationship. And shortly after she came back, she suggested I do this calendar. A few people have purchased the calendar. It'll be back this year, right? I named it after her, the Serenity 2021 calendar, the Serenity 2022 calendar, the motivational calendar, because she suggested it. That's what she thought of me. She thought thought that of me because of what you've done with me in Alcoholics Anonymous. My daughter knows I used to work the streets. My daughter knows that her grandmother is a murderer. My daughter knows that her granddaddy is a retired pimp knows all of that but because of who you have turned me into she sees me as someone that makes the lives of others brighter and better what and so I don't think that I can do any type of motivational calendar but I say well I'm going to share it at every AA meeting because it sounds really beautiful that my daughter thinks this of me and then spirit tells me do the calendar I was like I can't do it Spirit says, start here. So I did. I created this calendar, right? Learned all the stuff you got to do to publish and, you know, just, I never did anything like that. These are the things that allow me to come in shoulder to shoulder. It's becoming. Because when I was afraid, I had to put that on paper. The areas I still feel that I lack. You can do an inventory on the defects of character, literally list all of the defects of character and break that down. What are the fears? How is it showing up? What are you willing to surrender? There's different inventories. It just depends on, on on the relationship you have with this text, where you're willing to go with it. And are you willing to look at this stuff? Are you willing to get honest about where you are as you are for as long as you're going to be in that space? So, so I... I I do the calendar and you um, are doing all of that, right? Everything is moving along. And, uh, and my, my daughter has said that she wanted to meet her grandfather. And I was like, okay, that's great. Who is that, right? I didn't know who she's talking about. She said, your father. I was like, oh, <laughs> I have never, I never met my grand, I've never met any of my grandfathers, So it's not a word I used. Literally, I have never used that word. And I had no idea who she was talking about. But she said, my dad, I said, well, you know, my dad is active in his addiction. So I don't know what state we're going to find him in. And so what happened is COVID happened right as she came in my life. COVID happened. And as it started opening up, my, my dad went into a nursing home. I had a lot of feelings about my father. I thought all my my. Strong emotions were directed towards my mom because of all the things she... When you have a mother who kills children, those kids are my cousins, by the way. Rapes them and dismembers their bodies and puts them in... When you have that, it's usually your mom that gets top billing. But turns out, I had a lot of anger towards my dad. And I listened to members in Alcoholics Anonymous when they share their experience openly and honestly. That's why I'm not interested in someone who gives me a story of in the first year, it was difficult and every year since then has been okay. I can't hear those people. That's not been my experience. I listened to the people who say, and then the stuff with my dad came up. And so Ralph came to mind and I called Ralph and I said, I have a 10th step that I need to do on my dad. Can I read it to you? Ralph has heard many inventories. So is Ron. Can I read it to you? And he said yes. And it was so beautiful because as I went through that process, I thought I had one resentment. I had six resentments against my father. I thought I was OK with him not having been there when I was growing up. You know, my dad was on the streets. He would pop in and out every now and again. He would have, you know, the, the top woman. Right. She's called a bottom woman, but the top woman with him. And she handled the money. And so when he was giving me money, she would hand it to him. He would hand it to me. And he would make a lot of promises. And then he would leave. And I remember when I was 16, I'd just gotten out of another foster home. And I was back at my grandmother's house. And I'd been ditching school. And my dad came over because, I guess, my grandmother called my mom. And my mom told my dad. And my dad came over and whipped me. It was like, what? (laughs) You. And I held on to that for a long time. How dare you? How dare you? I remember being in junior high and seeing a ruckus across the street as I'm walking with my schoolmates. Some guy was was belligerent, being arrested, was obviously loaded on PCP. It was my dad. And I remember being frightened that he was going to say something and my friends were going to know, but he was so loaded, he didn't even recognize me. So when I started writing... This is a 10 step. It wasn't on my fourth step. It wasn't. So the, the thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, right? It talks about things we find objectionable. When I first get sober, the things I find objectionable change. What I found objectionable is very different. I mean, some things I still find out, but there are a lot of things that are objectionable today that were not objectionable for years. And that was based on my level of self-esteem, my level of self-worth, my level of healing. When I don't know my worth, this behavior is actually not objectionable. It's, it's familiar and I'll probably defend it. I don't want to do an inventory on it because I'm not ready to let it go, period. And if you get too close, I may have to change sponsors, right? You know what I mean? We've seen it all the time. I don't want to talk about it. It's not a a problem for me. Is it a problem for you? Then you should go. And so I have to stay here, continue to order my steps so that I can, so things can become objectionable. Because as as I am now defining my values, I'm stepping into the truth of who I am. I'm malleable. I'm being spiritually reconfigured. Step 10 is so powerful, man. I've entered the world of the spirit. I'm placed in the position of neutrality. I'm not triggered. everything doesn't trigger me and make me want to go get loaded or make me want to crawl into myself. I have to make sure because step two step ten is a part of step two, right? Let me go here for a minute. I wasn't going to do it, but I have to do it because I can't talk about step ten without doing it so so step two. If you look at where step two is in the big book, it's in how it works. The end of step two is in how it works. And we read all 12 steps. Here are the steps we took, right? All 12 steps. And then we continue on with the ABCs that God could and would if he were sought. And then it says, right? So we are now at step three, but in order for me, this is how I read it. Tell me if you if you are where I am right here. So in order for me to truly be restored to sanity, I have to take the remaining steps. Because for me to be to, to come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, if I haven't done an inventory, a power greater than myself is this cute person that I'm dating and them telling me I'm cute too. That's a power greater than myself. Their acceptance, their attraction to me them wanting to be seen with me, they're a power greater than myself and I become desperate to keep it. So if they leave, I question my worth and then I get thirsty because I, I'm trying to fill that space. Let's talk about a power greater than myself. I'm being restored to sanity, to principled living. I'm really just coming back to love. So in, in, in the 10th step, I've entered the world of the spirit because I'm still being developed. What am I turning my will in my life over? All of this is me being restored to sanity. If you come in my house and I'm a hoarder, right? I'm, I'm, I want to let you in. I may be able to let you in the, the living room because it's not as crowded as the bedroom and the bathroom and, and the kitchen because all the boxes are high. Right. So in an inventory, in the fourth step is where I unpack all of that stuff, where we we put some things on the shelf, Right. We mend some things because they are valuable. And the other stuff, we take it all out. So we have all this open space. This is how I'm restored to sanity. I can't be restored to anything when I can't even move around because there's all this stuff, all this stuff from my past. And in sobriety, that happens again. I start hoarding, I start holding on to secrets. I start holding on to what it is I needed this to be and it wasn't, but it's, it's eating my lunch. Right? So, so in step 10, I'm willing to start looking at this. I'm willing to start. Here's what had to happen in the relationship with my dad. As I'm reading this inventory to Ralph, what I got to do is I got to just be hurt. I got to just be hurt and I got to just love him. I got to move into a place of understanding that my father's under the lash of addiction, just like I was. That my father couldn't show up for me just like I couldn't show up for my daughter. They wanted us to be reunified when I first had her, but I couldn't stop drinking. There wasn't a day that I do a sober breath until I got sober. Unless I was in jail for a few months, a reprieve. I don't get loaded in jail because it's not a good use of my high. So so from that, because when I do a 10-step, let's say I'm doing a resentment, I do the four-column inventory. Right, person, place, thing that I'm pissed off at. Column two, why? Column three, all the areas that it affects, which is all the areas. Right, my personal, sex, relationships, my ambition, my security, my pocketbook. Um, let's say my ambition, right, my, my pride. So all of those that I'm writing them out, and then column four, where where was I to blame? Where? Where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened? And then I do column five. What are the defects of character? And then I do column six. What can I do differently? But I added a column seven and I added it out of prayer because what was happening is I was doing these inventories and I was still pissed off. (laughs) I understood it better, but I'm still pissed. I still don't like you. And so column seven was three acts of forgiveness. And that is when I started feeling the shift. This is my 10th step. After I write all of those columns, three acts of forgiveness, if all I had for you was love, how would I behave with you? My daughter uh, had suggested I do a motivational calendar and I was doing, this is the first year, right? 2020, I'm doing the calendar. And there was a, a ruling Uh, with the police about a a situation that, you know, we were under, we were just besieged with a lot of stuff. And I don't want this to get political, but as a, a person of color, I had a lot of strong emotions about it. And it turns out when you are carrying rage and hateful feelings, you can't right? An inspirational calendar. <laughs> Did you know that? Like I literally, cause I had to pray over everything and it was not coming. The inspiration was I was so busy seething over here. So I had to do a 10 step. And I remember I was, I was resentful at the police officers, right? Why? Because they're killing people that look like me. How does this affect my security? I don't feel I can go to the people I'm supposed to for help because I might be, become a fatality. It affects my personal relations. Someone who would side with them can't be my friend. It affects my pocketbook. When I am angry, it changes my behavior. It affects my business. I'm not receptive. I become brittle. When, how does it affect my sex relations? When I am enraged all the time, I become unapproachable. Right? How does it affect my ambition? I seek to be a good member of society. How does it affect my? What else am I think? My, did I talk about security. How does it affect my pride? I don't want to seem like I'm anti-law establishment because then I will lose the favor of other people who I need. And then I moved into where was I? Selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened. It's dishonest of me to group all of those officers uh, together because I know some really amazing officers who are filled with integrity and compassion. It's selfish of me to not be able to see it from any other vantage point uh, and not understand that every time they go on a call, they don't know if someone is going to take their life to understand what what it's like to carry that every call you go on. Self-seeking, I'm only thinking of me and getting my way and, and working it to my favor. And I'm frightened that I don't have anywhere a safe place to turn. This is what happens in my 10th my step. Defects of character, arrogance, rage, right? Being unreasonable. Probably a couple of, oh, self-righteous. Ralph gave me that one. <laughs> so I'm going to just go ahead and insert it right there. I was doing an inventory, Ralph. He said, oh, I read three things. He goes, that was great, Candace. He goes, there's one word that was missing with all of them. I said, really? What's that, Ralph? <laughs> I was all innocent. He goes, self-righteousness. I remember it stung from my head down to my toes. And uh, I said, you're right and when he said it it was so obvious how did i not see it and so um and so when i was doing the inventory on the police officers you know it is what Am I, what can I do differently next time? I can not gossip, not get on the phone and bash them, right? I can behave like a a law-abiding citizen so that I don't put myself in any situation. We know that you you can do that and still have a situation, but that's not what we're talking about. This is my inventory. And then three acts of forgiveness. This is where it all changed. Three acts of forgiveness. When I see it, so the first one, when I see an officer, I wave, And I smile. So if they're not in my direct line of sight, if they are in my direct line of sight and I approach them, I am to say, hello, thank you for your service. And I remember when that came up, I was like, no, but it was like, yes. Right. And I forget what the third one was. I always forget. I don't know, but I have it written down. And so, and I remember having to put that into practice. What that did is it opened me up. The minute I moved into three acts of forgiveness that I processed, oh, I'm afraid. And I'm willing to, to, I'm willing to bet that there are more good officers than there are ones that aren't good. The, the minute I'm willing to see it from another perspective, invite spirit into that space and hold myself accountable because there may be bad apples doesn't mean that you get to gossip, that you get to engage in all these behaviors that tear me down. It's not about who they are. Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? So the 10 step for me is I get to take a bath. You know, I'll share this before I stop. When I was newly sober in that rehab, I kept running out of soap. It was an indigent rehab and I would have to go to the front office and ask them for soap. And the the admin said, Candice, I just gave you a bar a few days ago. I said, I know, but it's gone. Isn't that a good thing, right? I'm using the soap. And she said, honey, you have to take a bath on the inside. I didn't know what she was talking about. I'm literally like 37, 38 days sober. And so I was like, so I can't have any soap? And she said, here, Candace, right? And so it wasn't until I got a sponsor that I understood the steps. They are a bath on the inside. And the 10th step allows me to move about in freedom, right? It allows me to not rest on my laurels, to stay vigilant, about this isn't a relationship that's over. Alcohol is like a jilted lover. It's going to try and get me back to the day I die. And so I have to make sure that I stay in fit spiritual condition. And I do that by taking these steps. Because if I don't, alcohol starts to look like the only one that really had my back. My perception starts to change one more time. When I stop doing inventory, things that were, that were not okay become okay because I become unwilling to surrender. The reason I have to bathe on a daily basis is if I'm not bathing, that I'm starting, I'm putting on all these nice things, there's still going to be an odor. I may be dressed up, but there's going to be an odor. You're going to be like, who is that? Who, is, who just came in the room? Right? So we radiate from the inside out. I have done a lot of stuff. I did a lot of stuff as a woman out on those streets. And I've done several things sober that were unprincipled. And I have stayed sober through it because I've been willing to do an inventory with a sponsor or with a good friend. And I've been willing to take the corrective actions necessary. You are not good or bad here. You are healing. You are, we are not doing good or bad, right or wrong. We are doing healing and we are doing this may or may not support your growth. So I hope that you remain willing to surrender to do what we do. Thank you so much for letting me share this afternoon.